right. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you for being here uh, tonight. Thank you for joining us for discipleship class number 15. Wow. I tell you, this uh, 2020 has been uh, quite a different year, um, at least in my lifetime. It's been unprecedented. And, um, but I guess uh, despite a lot of the things that are going on, it's still going by pretty quickly. So we're already into uh, December and it won't be too many more weeks that we'll turn the page and move over into 2021. Of course, I know if you're like me, you're believing for a much better 2020. 21. Although I got to say, and I, I'm not complaining, I, every time we talk about what a challenging year it's been, I have to tell you how good God has been to me and how he has, uh, you know, just provided and, and protected and prospered even uh, me personally and uh, our family of faith here at Heritage. And, and I pray that the same is, uh, is true uh, for you. So it has been uh, historical uh, challenges for us, but um, Father has just proven himself and will uh, continue uh, to do so. Praise God. All right, well, let's pray and, uh, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for uh, the blessing and gift of this technology. Um, Father, we believe that every good gift comes from you. And Father, we believe that this is a good gift, even though others would use these things um, uh, for sin and darkness. Father, we believe that it's a tool. And I thank you, Father, for helping us and blessing us with the, uh, the equipment, the computers, the cameras, the lights, the, the routers, all those things, Father, the switchers, all those things that, that are involved in making this uh, available and this broadcast possible tonight. And Lord, I just thank you for those who are tuning in. Lord, I thank you that there are a lot of folks who just uh, look at us for a few minutes and move on, but there are others, Lord, who, who are here from start to finish, either live or through the archives. And so we thank you for them, Father, and we thank you for those that, that just tune in for a few minutes. Lord, we believe one word from you can change our lives forever. And so, Father, even if it's just for 15 or 20 minutes, I pray that those 15 or 20 minutes that somebody listens tonight, Father, would be an opportunity for you to speak your eternal truth into, into their hearts and in their lives, Father. We believe you for good things tonight. Um, Lord, I thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. I know, Father, that um, we're going to look at some very important things tonight, but also some things that, um, at least for some who are religiously minded, Lord, a, a little controversial. But I thank you for helping us, Lord, uh, share those things with clarity and precision and simplicity. And Lord, I also thank you, Father, not just for your anointing on me to share the word, but for your anointing upon the hearer to hear and receive the word. And we thank you, Father, tonight for this beautiful transaction that will take place from your Holy Spirit deep inside of us. Lord, may your word become engrafted into us, may it become a part of us, and may it renew our minds and transform our lives tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, praise God. So uh, let's put the title slide back up for a moment. Uh, discipleship class number 15, and uh, tonight we're going to continue uh, where we left off on last week, answering this all-important question, what is man? So the simple title of, ton the simple title of tonight's class what is man, part two. So if you'll recall, we've talked about these three questions. Why am I, we said, corresponds with our purpose. Who am I, corresponds with the singular word identity. And then what am I, corresponds with the word origin. We said these are three very important questions, questions that we need to know and understand the answers to. How can we ever have our best lives if we don't 
understand some of these most simple and basic uh, principles and truths concerning our lives. And um, I'll, put that I'll put that slide back up on the screen again, uh, just to point out to you one more time that um, although we went with why, then who, then what, um, I have those listed on the, uh, on the slide uh, as what am I being the first question. Think of it as a foundation. Think of it as being the first thing that needs to be put in place because if we don't know what we are. There's nothing in place um, in our lives to support the, the truth about who we are. And then the same about why am I. And ultimately, uh, as we've said before, understanding and fulfilling your purpose uh, is the sweet spot of life. It's it's where we're most uh, content. It's where we you know, enjoy life uh, the most and to its fullest. But you'll never know why you are until you know who you are, and you'll never know who you are until you know what you are. Praise God. And so these are uh, the things that um, we are uh, delving into. And again, as always, I'm not here to give you my opinion. Uh, I'm here to show you what the Bible says about these things, what your Creator, Father, has revealed to us uh, in His Word concerning these very important questions. Let me put another uh, verse up on the screen tonight, Psalm 8, Psalm 8. Uh, we turned there last week. If you're new to the class, you may want to uh, uh, look this verse up. But Psalm 8, verse 4 and 5, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. And that word angels there means Elohim, which means God. You've made him a little lower than God and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Crowned him with glory and honor. Now, it'll be after the first of the year, but we're going to spend at least two, maybe three of our sessions together uh, really diving into the new birth and what it means to be born again. I just want to join in your heart and mind tonight um, this verse, Psalm 8 and verse 5, where it says you've crowned him with glory and honor with something the Bible says about um, our salvation in Romans chapter 3. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you think of the glory of God, the glory that God crowned mankind with, um, think of it in terms of uh, God's highest and best for man. Um, when we think of, of the glory of a thing, we think of that thing operating at its, at its very peak, at its very uh, highest, you know, that it can possibly function and operate at. And so when the Bible says we sinned and fell short of our glory, um, we fell short of God's highest and best for us. But of course, we know that Jesus came um, to restore uh, that to us. And John 17 says the glory that Father gave to Jesus, that Jesus has now once again passed along and given to us. Praise God. So what is man? Answering this question correctly and just reading from my notes now is critically important because it provides the foundation for the next two questions and those as we've already discussed are the questions who am I and why am I? Now let me go ahead and tell you and I, and I, I tried to kind of ease you into some of these things last week and, um, and so again we're going to look at uh, those things again tonight, <laughs> you know, answer this question, what is man? Um, and it, it, it's going to stretch a lot of us. Um, you know, when we really start coming face to face with the truth of, of exactly what we are, um, it, it is uh, 
uh, alarming, it is disturbing, it is uh, it's sad, but some people are, are afraid of and resist, uh, rebel against, even reject it altogether. Um, I don't like to talk about negative things, but um, I have had more than one person uh, over the years uh, that have uh, left the church that I pastor here in Hueytown uh, because of my teaching from the Word of God uh, on, you know, and covering some of the things that we're going to cover tonight. Um, just remember, amen, that what we're going to look at is from the Word of God. This is not just my opinion. And the Bible says in the mouth of two witnesses. So um, you listen very carefully. You write down these verses. You go back and listen to this recording again. Uh, search the Scriptures. Remember, you have the Word and you have that inward witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, but these things, and, and I, I'm going to say some things now that I've probably never said exactly this way, uh, leading up to an exploration of, of, of these answers, um, but a, a failure to understand and embrace the truth concerning what you are um, will make it impossible to ever fully know who you are and why you are. This is why the devil works so hard to convince us that we are nothing more than a higher form of, of monkey. Um, if, if you believe uh, the popular opinions of, of worldly science, then you'll believe we're nothing more than, than apes with an education, that we're just a, a more advanced form, uh, a higher uh, evolved uh, form of, of gorilla or monkey or ape. Um, and, uh, you know, this is what the devil wants you to believe. Uh, I've mentioned it a time or two already, so I'm going to mention it again. Uh, one of his strategies against us is the trivialization of man. It's what I call the trivial. He wants to trivialize you and, and make you out to be less than, um, than you really are. And, and so you can't cut the corner here. Um, th this is where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Um, if, if, if you shortchange uh, yourself concerning the truth of what you are, it's going to put you at a disadvantage for the rest of your life when it comes to fully understanding um, who you are and then why you are. Uh, so again, think about it. If, if we're nothing more than a higher form of monkey or ape, um, then that sure limits what it is that we can aspire to uh, in life. But if we are beings created in the image and likeness of God, with God himself being the only other being comparable to us, okay, then that puts John 14 into play. When Jesus said the works that he did, you will do also and even greater works because he goes to his Father. So we limit ourselves by limiting our willingness to search out, understand, embrace, and incorporate the truth concerning what we are um, into our lives and into our understanding. Now, I want to direct you to a passage in Romans 12. Turn there with, with me, if you will. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. This, I believe, uh, I normally have this later in my notes, but I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit uh, this afternoon to, to move this up to this point. And Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 um, says this, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, 
so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now I'm going to leave that verse on the screen for just a moment because I want to reread verse number 3. Verse number 3 says, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, it's sad to me because a lot of people look at this passage and they think that it's telling you and me to think poorly of ourselves or to think lowly of ourselves. Somehow, Romans chapter 12 and 3 is saying to the entire body of Christ that we should have a poor self-image and a low self-esteem. And that is, a, that is exactly uh, incorrect. That's, in other words, th this verse is, is saying, I'll, I'll get it out here in a minute, this verse is, is saying exactly the opposite. It's, it's not that he's telling you and me to think lowly of ourselves. Matter of fact, if you look at this verse carefully, this verse is telling you and me to think highly of ourselves. He's just saying to not think more highly than you ought to think. Now, I went ahead and read verses 4 and 5 because verses 4 and 5 provide the context for what it means to think more highly of yourself than, than you should. And, and the context of thinking more highly uh, of oneself than one should is when we think that we can fulfill our purpose and destiny apart from working together with other members of the body of Christ. So as important as my thumb is, okay, my thumb separated from my right hand uh, will never be able to do and accomplish what my thumb was created to do. So you have a very important purpose. You have a very high calling uh, in, in the body of Christ and in the overall plan of God for this earth. But you will never be able to accomplish that as a lone ranger. You'll never be able to accomplish that unless you work together with other members of the body of Christ, and, and unless you understand yourself in that way. So to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, or to be, as my mama said growing up, to be too big for your britches, is when you think you can do what you're on this earth to do without other people, all right? So let's go back to it. When we talk about understanding what we are, um, these are very high and lofty things, um, according to the Word of God. To be made just a little, to be made by God in the image and likeness of God, just a little bit lower than God. Um, to, as some translations say, have narrowly missed being God. Um, th that, that's high cotton. That, that's way on up there. Amen. Um, and we should embrace that because it's what the Word of God says. Um, but, you know, to think more highly of yourself than you should would be uh, to, to become prideful because of that. And, and what I've learned in my own life, and I've struggled with these things myself, um, if, if, to really embrace this, though, is, it's, it's not a, a matter of pride. It's a matter of humility. It's very humbling um, to really embrace the truth um, concerning what God and our Father created you and me uh, to be. What is man? What is man? All right? So let's answer that question. Let's go back where we were on uh, last week. We said... Uh, what is man? And we've got plenty that we're going to talk about here. But the first thing that we are unraveling is that man is a God-class being. So what is man? Number one, number one, man is a God-class being. Now don't switch the channel, praise God. Don't, don't, don't uh, uh, you know, go back to surfing other parts of Facebook or, or the World Wide Web. But hang in here with me. Let me show you this, to you this show this to you in scripture all right so genesis chapter one i'll go ahead and put that up on the screen then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth praise god 
So we said last week that image and likeness means we were created by God to look like He looks, but also we were created by God to function the way He functions. Now let me put up another verse that we looked at uh, last week, Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18, uh, 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 19, and 20. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now that word comparable there is a very important word. We'll talk about it in just a moment. We're going to see it again. Verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God made every beast uh, of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, notice it says, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. Okay, But let's keep going here. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, we're not going to keep reading, but if, if we did, we would see that a deep sleep fell upon Adam. God removed a rib from Adam's side, and from that rib, he created Eve. Now, it was necessary for God to do this because of all the living things that God created, there were none comparable to Adam. This word comparable is different from the word similar. Um, there are certain similarities uh, between um, created things, things that have life in them. Um, some things are more similar and, and share more similarities than, um, than, than other living things. Uh, when we talk about, for instance, the ability uh, for living things to communicate, uh, we see that even on the you know, smallest levels, uh, cellular levels, uh, that cells communicate. Uh, and, and it's a fascinating thing. So when it comes to the fact that human beings communicate, and I'm communicating with you right now, um, this simply shows the handiwork of God. Uh, in other words, the, the, the fingerprints of God are, are going to be in e on everything that God uh, created. And so there, there are certain similarities. Uh, we know that, um, for instance, I can communicate uh, on some level um, with, uh, with, with, with my, my dog, okay? Um, but I can't communicate with him on the same level that I can communicate uh, with you. So you have similarities, but then you have uh, comparable or think compatibility. And so when it came to someone on the same level as someone uh, comparable to Adam, uh, this word comparable is interesting because it, it literally means to be able to look towards. So the idea is that, that they're on the same level, that, that, that they could look eye to eye with, with one another, um, as opposed to, let's go back to, and I'll use this example more than once tonight, um, my little Yorkshire Terrier. Uh, I, can, I can look down at him, but he's not on the same level as I am as far as, as, as a created being. So when the Bible says there was none comparable to Adam, there was none on the same level um, as Adam, because Adam was created uh, in a different way and cut from a different cloth, uh, we could say, than all the other created things. Now, I often tell my little Yorkie, the same God that created me created him. Uh, we do have that uh, in common. And, this, and the same God that created me created the oak tree in my backyard. And so on some level then, 
I have something in common with, with that tree, okay? <laughs> but um, we're not comparable. I'm not comparable. I'm not the same as um, a puppy dog or an oak tree. So it's interesting that God brought all these different living things to Adam and Adam named them, but it wasn't just an exercise in naming them. It was almost like a roll call uh, to show Adam that of all the things that God created, there wasn't any that were uh, comparable to him. Because again, Adam was created from God in the image and likeness of God. And this is a very important clue to understanding and, and ultimately advancing our understanding and coming to an answer to this important question, what is man? Now, I've learned in just many years of, of pastoring and, and preaching and teaching that there are two areas from the Scripture that uh, have a tendency to make people really nervous. In other words, when, when I teach on these things and, and, and really take a, a, a deep dive, deep look, close look into, into what the Bible says about these things, these are things that, that people get unsettled. They, they get anxious. As I've already said, you know, I've had, actually had people leave the church, um, uh, say, say ugly things, <laughs> praise God, about me uh, because I dared uh, to teach um, what the Bible says uh, about these things. I'm going to come back before I show you these two areas, okay? Um, remember this, okay? Um, as long as Jesus uh, was what and who the religious establishment said he was, they loved him. He was the darling of religion. They handed him the scroll when he came to town. Uh, they recognized him as a prodigy. Remember, when he's, when he's 12 years old, he's sitting in the temple uh, having uh, intelligent uh, doctrinal conversations with PhDs, with doctor, doctors of the law. Um, and so he was a novelty to them. And as long as he played by their rules, as, as long as he towed their, their religious line, and as long as he stayed within the boundaries that they set for him, um, they loved him, uh, but the minute he chose to be what and who his father said he was, they turned on him, and they turned on him with a vengeance. And I found the same to be true when it comes to who and what I am and who and what you are. Um, religion doesn't like the real answers to these things because ultimately, remember, religion is, is an arm of the devil's uh, operations, okay? Uh, well, that may be strong for somebody, but just remember, um, religious people stripped Jesus naked, beat him almost to death, and nailed him to a tree until he died, okay? And they did it in the name of God and in the name of protecting their religion and their little fiefdom, their little religious uh, kingdom, if you will. So um, let's go back then uh, to these two areas, two areas that make people really nervous. And when you start getting closer and closer to the, to the line of truth on this, uh, people get a, a little squirmy, all right? And, uh, and so the first one is, uh, how much like God are we? And the second one is, how much like us was Jesus, all right? And so let's start with the second one. We're, we're not going to necessarily teach on it exhaustively tonight. But remember, the, the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself of everything that made him God and came to this earth as a man. And that everything he did on this earth, he did as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, 
there are folks, and, and I, I've, I've heard it said in different ways from different pastors, you know, that he was God and, and everything he did, he did as God and he was God with just skin on himself and, 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 and these kinds of things. My friend, I believed that for a long time. It's because it's what I was taught when I was younger. But if you read the scriptures, I mean, Hebrews even says that it was necessary for him to become a man in order for him to redeem us and do for us what he did for us. He had to become a man to complete it. He had to become a man to do it. But again, this, this makes people um, really nervous. I've even had people accuse me of, you know, somehow I'm taking something away from Jesus by saying about him what the Bible clearly says in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that he became a man and dwelt among us, okay? But if you think about it, okay, what would have been more difficult? What would have been the harder assignment? Do everything Jesus did as God on the earth or do everything that Jesus did as a man on the earth? See, I think it's just the opposite. I believe we're actually taking something away from his accomplishments when we say he did it as God, okay, instead of saying he did it as a man. It would have been much more difficult, a much greater feat uh, for Jesus to do what he did as a man, as one of us, full of the Holy Spirit and right standing with God, than it would have been for him to just, you know, somehow levitate off his throne and come to this earth as the eternal Son of God in, in God in every way and, and, and do what he did. Now, I understand, you know, I get accused sometimes as well of, of oversimplifying things, but you have to start with the, with the simplest, most basic level of a thing uh, and then build up from there uh, if, you're, if you're fully going to embrace and fully receive the truth uh, that we find in the Word of God. So, again, the, the two areas that, that make people somewhat nervous. Remember we talked about rightly dividing the Word of God and, and, and instead of trying to balance it. And this is another one of those areas where we have to allow the Word of God to be the sword, the, the surgeon's scalpel, if you will, uh, to, to make the right cut here. But th again, we got to know how much like Jesus, how much like us Jesus actually became, right? But then the first one is, uh, this one makes people nervous as well, um, how much like God are we? I mean, the Bible says we were created in His image and likeness, but I mean, you know, what exactly does that mean? I mean, how, how much does that actually uh, in, entail, and, and, and where are um, those lines drawn? Obviously, the lines are drawn because, you know, He created us. We didn't create Him. Uh, he can exist without us. We can't exist without Him. We wouldn't exist with, without Him. I think this, again, brings us back to that important translation that we spent a great deal of time on last week in Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him uh, and that you visit him, that you've made him a little bit lower than Elohim, a little bit lower than yourself, a little bit lower than God, and crowned him with glory and honor. And, and I'm not going to go back and do it, but we read, I don't know, six, seven different translations of that verse that accurately and correctly uh, you know, translated it, um, and, and, and so again, this, this is what it is that Father is trying to say to us, as much as that may go against your religious upbringing, as much as that may go against uh, some sacred cow doctrine that you hang on to, or as much as it may go against even 
you know, that, again, it, it, it makes you feel awkward. It almost makes you feel like you're blaspheming or that you're, you're crossing some line here, all right? But I'm offering to you that the resistance you're experiencing um, ultimately is coming from the enemy. He, he never wants you. Because remember, he's a fallen angel. So as long as you believe that angels are over you, notice the devil has a vested interest uh, in you thinking like that, that you're subservient to angels. But that was his undoing. As Lucifer, the, 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 the beautiful archangel in heaven, uh, he, his rebellion was a refusal not to, not to exalt his throne above God. We covered that last week. But to exalt his throne above you. And so it's interesting to me that the very verse that's meant to communicate this truth to us was, was mishandled by some translations, leaving us with the very impression that the verse was meant to correct and the truth uh, that it was meant to establish. Okay, Now, um, we're, we're going to... And sometimes I hesitate to do this because th th this is a... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit off the wall, but... But I, I say that with all due respect to the Holy Spirit, uh, and, you know, because I'm, I'm saying it's off the wall. But I believe, and, and this was some years ago, that just in me really wanting to answer, you know, this question, how much like God are we? Because this was where I was coming, you know, the Holy Spirit was bringing me to an understanding and answer to that question, what is man? And, and so I, I knew some of the things that the Bible said, and we're going to look at, at these things tonight, uh, about our being in His image and in His likeness and, and us being uh, you know, like Him in so many ways, comparable to Him in, in so many ways. Now, time out here. I know, it's, whoa, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm, I'm talking about what you are, okay? Um, and I'm asking you to stay with me tonight. And let, let me just keep unfolding this for a moment, all right? But, see, we hear comparable, and, and, and that, again, makes us nervous. But let me, let me give you an example, okay? Um, if I ask my son to go mow the front yard, and he goes and does a really good job mowing the front yard, then that means he is comparable to me in the sense that he did something I can do uh, basically as well as, as I can do it, all right? That doesn't mean that he has authority over me back in the day when he was my son living in my house, and still he submits to me as his father and as his pastor, and I, I respect him for that, and he respects me for that. He understands uh, the importance of, of those things. But I'm talking about when he was, you know, a kid living in my roof, 14 years old, living in my roof, okay? If he goes and cuts the grass and, and, and does a comparable job to me, then we could say that he's comparable to me in, in, in that regard, but it doesn't mean that he now is in charge of the household. It doesn't mean that he now is over me in, in authority. So you can have someone in submission to you, under you, okay, but at the same time uh, do a comparable job to you as you. You know, some of my most favorite employees in my cabinet business were the guys who would go out there and do a job um, in my name, Winslet Kitchen and Bath, um, but, but they would do as good a job, and, and in some cases even a better job than I would have done uh, if, if I went out there and did it myself, okay? Uh, and obviously I, I paid those men and blessed them financially uh, because you know, of, of their work ethic and because of their attitude and their spirit of excellence. Um, but it, did, it, didn't, it didn't make them the owner of my company, 
because they could do something comparable to me or they were considered comparable to me um, in, in that regard, okay? So when we talk about being comparable, remember the other, the other word that we have to understand with this is this concept of compatibility, compatibility. And what we're going to see as we work our way through these things uh, this evening is that Father God decided that you were to be a God-class being because he wanted you to be compatible with him. He, wanted, he made you comparable to him because he wanted you to be compatible with him. Okay, And so if there's no comparability, then there's little to no compatibility. Comparable things are compatible. Okay, So I only enjoy so much compatibility uh, with my Yorkie um, because of the difference, the differentiation in our comparability. So uh, I'm not saying that we are the same as God, but I'm saying that he made us comparable to himself a little bit lower than himself because he wanted compatibility with us. He wanted us to be like him so that he could enjoy fellowship with us. And remember, I've said it last week. I'm going to say it again now. And it's in my notes, uh, so I may wind up saying it again uh, later tonight. Um, I did not choose this. I, what we're talking about now, and, and, and you, gotta, you have to you know, make this uh, uh, distinction in your mind. Okay, These are not things that I chose or that I decided. Um, I think I said it this way last week. It's not like I told God, you either make me like you and a little bit lower than you or don't make me at all. Okay, I had no say-so in this. He's the potter, I'm the clay. He's the creator, I'm the creation. It's not my place as the creation, it's not my place as the, as the clay to say to the potter, why did you make me like yourself? My place as the clay is to submit to the potter. My place, your place as the creation is to submit to the creator and, and to allow him to show you and to teach you what you are because he's the one who decided this long before he ever created you, okay? So, amen, I know I get a little passionate about this, but we, we have to break through these things. These are, these are strongholds in people's minds, because, because people refuse to embrace the truth about what they are. It, 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 it affects them down the road, as we've already stated. It, it debilitates you uh, in understanding who you are and, and then ultimately why you are. Now, as I was seeking the Lord about these things, and, and we had actually, um, it's a long story, I'll try to make it brief, but um, back in the day, we did something at Heritage called Designated Days. Now, it's, it's kind of a catchy title, okay? What were designated days? They were designated days to seek the Lord. And, and we would just meet in the morning, we'd meet in the evening, and we, and we would seek God, and we'd pray, and we'd have the Word, and, and, um, and different folks would minister, and it was just a beautiful thing. And... Um, and, and so it was during these designated days. Normally they went Sunday through Wednesday, but this particular designated days, the Holy Spirit was, was really moving among us and doing some beautiful things among us. And so we decided to, to, to extend it through Friday night. And um, it's on a cassette tape somewhere. Uh, folks that were around here in those days, um, they remember that service, and the title of that sermon was Friday Night in the House of the Lord. Amen. And, uh, and it was a barn burner that night, no doubt. Um, there were some folks, uh, some of you know uh, my dear friend and, and brother Aaron Brazil. Um, he, uh, the Lord really touched him, uh, spoke to him that night. Some powerful things happened. 
um, and, and, uh, <laughs> another good uh, brother, Jeremy Campbell. Um, I don't know if him and I don't think him and Aaron were married uh, in in those days. Um, uh, but anyway, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in my office. I think it was that afternoon before uh, that evening before the service. But anyway, just the Lord was really uh, moving among us, and and so um, I I had just really been before the Lord that week seeking answers about these things because again my my upbringing my religious indoctrination um, taught me to stay as far away from these kinds of questions and seeking the Lord for answers as I could get and so um, now I teach them freely and openly because I'm convinced in my heart you know the Holy Spirit has taught me about these things but in those days uh, I was still learning a lot about this and and again I'd already had some blowback and some pushback and and um, so, I, you know, I just I wanted to be right about it. And so just in a time of prayer, the Holy Spirit inwardly um, reminded me of something called taxonomy. All right. Now, taxonomy is not an online tax preparation service. OK, taxonomy is the classification of living things. Uh, a matter of fact, let me um, I'll put a couple of slides up on the screen here. Okay, so taxonomy is the classification of living things. And maybe some of this, I'll just put uh, some of the ways living things are classified on, on the screen. Um, first of all, uh, you have living things that would be uh, in the same kingdom. Okay, so if, you know, all living things that would, that would be organized or classified as being in the same kingdom are things that are, are grouped together that have certain fundamental characteristics in common. And so um, there are five kingdom classifications. Um, so, so there's a lot of debate over this. I'm not here to give you a biology lesson, okay? Um, but for instance, there's the animal kingdom, there's the plant kingdom, um, there's the, uh, uh, the uh, fungi kingdom, okay? Uh, and so forth and so on, all right? So um, we have kingdom, then we have, um, I'll tell you what, let me just run through these right quick and then we'll, we'll uh, discuss them and tell you what it has to do with the lesson tonight, okay? So from kingdom, uh, all things that would be grouped in a kingdom, so for instance, let's say the, the animal kingdom, all animals would then be divided again into uh, what is called a phylum. And uh, those that are in a phylum together uh, would be grouped together uh, uh, as organisms that have the same body plan, okay? So, you know, again, I'm not trying to give you all the different distinctions of, of these things, okay? Uh, then from phylum, you have uh, things that are in the same kingdom that would be in the same phylum. Then you separate them out even further uh, with uh, things that are in the same class, okay? And so uh, organisms that share a common attribute uh, would share um, a class, uh, if you will, uh, to, uh, together, okay? And then from class comes order, uh, family, and genus, okay? Now, when we start talking about order, family, and genus, Again, I could spend the rest of our time together tonight teaching you about these things. I'm just trying to give you an overview because there's a bigger point here that the Holy Spirit wants to make. But order, family, and genus 
These all have to do with variations that, that differentiate one thing from another. So for instance, um, walnuts are not the same as hickory nuts, okay? So, you know, all these uh, different, um, uh, you know, characteristics of a, uh, of, a, of a living organism that would establish, uh, first of all, similarities, but let's go back to those words, um, things that are comparable. Um, you know, there are, are things that a horse and, um, and a tiger have uh, in common, but then, you know, we see that, that one is a meat eater, one is um, a, you know, eats grass, okay? So that distinction separates them, and, and so it's like a funnel. You go from a kingdom to a phylum to a class to order to a, to a family to, to, to a genus, okay? And all of these are, are narrowing the focus and dividing these things, uh, you know, more and more and more, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, one another. So, example, not all animals um, are the same. And so as the Holy Spirit began to remind me of this, and, and he kind of prompted, not kind of, he did, he prompted me to kind of work through this. And, and again, I'm just giving you some background too into just meditating on things and how I was meditating on, on that particular afternoon. And so I thought, okay, kingdom, I mean, I can make a biblical case that me and God, you and God are in the same kingdom. If you're born again, we've already taught on that um, here. Born again, you know, not only am I in the kingdom, the kingdom is in me, okay? And then, you know, we start talking about a phylum, uh, same body plan. I know that God has arms and legs and feet and hands and toes and a mouth and a nose. So I would fit there. Um, class, organisms that share a common attribute. Um, well, I have lots of attributes in common with God uh, because he made me to look like he looks and to function the way he functions, okay? Um, and you start talking about order, it's like, okay, you know, um, then family, that one really jumped out at me. Matter of fact, I, I really thought that kingdom and family were the ones that the Holy Spirit was breathing on uh, that afternoon when he was, you know, walking me through this, um, that, you know, I must be uh, pretty, pretty much like God uh, to be in the same kingdom with him and to be in the same family um, as, as he is, okay? Um, but uh, the, the Lord took me um, one step further, um, and that, of course, is what comes after uh, genus, okay? Now, what comes after genus represents um, the closest um, related of all living things, all right? And these are living things um, that are the most comparable to one another and that um, are the most compatible with one another. And the greatest, or we should say the, the ultimate test of compatibility, right, is um, the idea of living things being able to bear one another's young. And living things that are able to have one another's babies are living things that are of the same species. So if, if two things are of the same species, then we see that they can 
impregnate one another and, and can give birth to one another's children. And, and so when we, we as I get excited to this day uh, because when the Holy Spirit dropped that in my heart, He immediately reminded me of a teenage virgin named Mary who was not only able to conceive the Word of God into her womb, but she was able to carry and give birth to none other than the Son of God. So when we talk about how much like God are we, certainly we're in the same kingdom. I said we're God-class beings, um, but in reality, uh, God made us of the same species as Himself. And so when it says there's none comparable, again, there, there are similarities between you and other living created things. Um, but when it comes to uh, bearing a horse's uh, young, uh, humans can't do that, all right? Th this is something that is very unique and very specific, again, establishing the ultimate level of comparability and compatibility. Now, I want you to go with me. I want you to take a deep breath before we do, and then I want you to go with me to Psalm number 82. Psalm number 82, praise God. Psalm 82, and we're going to look at uh, eight verses. So let's begin with verse number one. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Now, I want you to look at me for, for a moment. I'm going to come back to it, okay? But I, I'm, going to, I'm going to come back on screen for a moment, okay? God stands in the congregation of the mighty, okay? Now, when God comes and stands among His people, He does not come and stand in the assembly or the congregation of the measly. He comes and He stands in the congregation of the mighty. Now, what the Word of God does for us is very important. The Word of God gives us God's perspective. This is how God sees you. This may not be how you see yourself yet, but this is how God sees you. This is God's perspective. We won't turn there, but in the Old Testament, we find an account of when the angel of the Lord came to the servant of the Lord, a young man named Gideon. And the, Lord entered, the angel of the Lord introduced himself by calling Gideon a mighty man of valor. And when he called Gideon a mighty man of valor, Gideon began to look around to see who it was that the angel of the Lord was talking about because Gideon did not see himself as a mighty man of valor. He saw himself as the least of the least. He said that his father's house were, was a household of nobodies and he was a nobody amongst a family of nobodies. And I'm giving you the New Winslet International Translation of what he said. But yet notice, that is not how God saw Gideon. That's how Gideon saw Gideon. So when God stands among his people, God says that he stands in the congregation of the mighty. I remind you again that your enemy has tried your entire life to trivialize you. He's tried to convince you that he's mighty and you're measly when just the opposite is the truth. So God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Okay? Now, <laughs> amen. If you notice, uh, gods there is a lowercase g. All right? And if it makes you feel better, let's just say he judges 
among the rulers. Because once again, let me come back on screen for a minute. Remember, God created mankind to have dominion. He created you and me to rule over our domain. His, the works of His hands. So He doesn't see you as poor and pitiful. He sees you as mighty and He sees you as a ruler. Amen. We see in Romans 5 and in other places that because of Jesus and, and, and His completed work on the cross and His restoration of you and me back to the place and even beyond what God created us to occupy, that we now rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. So He stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Let's go back to it. Verse 2. He asks a question now. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Selah might be best understood as pause and think. In other words, he's asking you to, to stop and consider this. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He's saying, God is saying to his people, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. All right. Now I'm going to come back here. What, what, what is Father saying? He, he's saying, look, when are you going to do something about what's going on in your land? When are you going to do something about fatherlessness? When, when are you going to do something about people who are hurting? When are you going to stand up and, and be my people? You see, so many times we view ourselves as being uh, inadequate. We view ourselves as, 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 as being unable um, we, we, because we see ourselves as measly, we don't think we have anything to offer because we don't think of ourselves as ruling and reigning in life. Um, we, we often see ourselves as somebody that needs help rather than as the ones who have the kingdom of God inside of us and the spirit of God inside of us and are able to go and help other people, all right? So he's saying God stands in the congregation of his people, the congregation of the mighty, and he's giving us some very important instructions. All right, let's go back to it now. He says, deliver the poor and the needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. He says, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Now, here, here, here we are again, all right, um, with, uh, let's see, I don't recall the exact passage. We've looked at it already at least twice, I believe, um, where Jesus asked his disciples to lift up their heads and to look at the people around them. And, and he said that they were like sheep with no shepherd. He said, look at them. He said, the fields are white already under harvest. He said, there's so many people that are in such tremendous need and there are so few people to, to actually go and serve and, and to lead and to, and to help and, and, and to minister to. And so, Father God, this is an Old Testament version of that verse. He's saying that there are people who are poor, there are people who are in need, and notice their biggest problem is they don't know and they don't understand. And so, this again, remember, minister of reconciliation, word of reconciliation, talking to you tonight. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. And that when you open your mouth and speak the word of God to people, it's as if God himself is speaking through you to them. So they don't know, they don't understand, and notice because they don't know and they don't understand, they walk about in darkness. 
we might, we might say it this way, they're clueless. They don't understand life. They don't understand spiritual laws. They don't understand how spiritual laws affect their uh, daily life and their life reality here on planet Earth. And to say that they're missing out would be a gross understatement. And, and then this verse also says, uh, to make matters worse, that all the foundations of the earth are unstable. So you have a vast majority of people who are ignorant. They don't understand. Um, they have no comprehension of what life really is and what life's really about. So they're walking about in darkness. Just because they don't know doesn't mean they stop living. They just keep forging ahead, uh, you know, down a path that seems right, but the Bible says ultimately leads to tragedy and death, okay? But then at the same time, people are wandering around clueless. They're living on a planet that's broken. Um, sin dealt a death blow to the foundations of this earth. Sin, Adam's sin, the Bible says that this earth is cursed for Adam's sake because of Adam's sin, which means now that there's a curse upon the planet. And, and if you think of the curse as a force from darkness, a force that the enemy takes advantage of, okay, that's working against people, that's making life harder than it was ever meant or intended to be. So all the foundations of the earth are unstable. Remember, He's covered you. God's covered you with the shadow of His hand. He's put His words in your mouth. Isaiah tells us this, so that God may put His words in your mouth, plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say in design, Thou art my people. Okay, so far so good. Let's go back to it now. Verse number 6. <laughs> this is God speaking. I said, not Pastor Mark, okay, God said, I said, you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. Okay, we didn't lose internet connection. I'll just pause there for a second, okay? Let me look at you and you look at me, okay? What is man? I said that we were going to stretch tonight, okay? Last week we looked at the passage in James, and he talked about the Word of God being a mirror, and that a lot of people look into the Word of God and see what and who they are, but then they put down the Bible and they walk away from it and immediately forget what kind of man, okay? So here we're looking into the only mirror that will ever show you a reflection of what you truly are. And notice what this mirror has to say. Notice the reflection that this, mir that this mirror is presenting for you. And I'm begging you tonight, I'm begging you tonight, please do not put the mirror down and walk away. I know this makes you uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable when I first began to look at this. It made me uncomfortable when I first tried to come to terms with this. It made me uncomfortable when I tried to figure out a way to not deny it outright, but to come up with some alternate translation to make it say something other than what it really says. As a matter of fact, I, I remember thinking that, well, if the Bible really meant this, then, then the Supreme Court, remember those lessons, right? that somewhere in the New Testament, Jesus would have said something about this. Guess what? He did, and I'll show it to you in a minute. All right, okay. So, God speaking. 
I said you were God's. This is not any human being's perspective of you. This is your Creator's perspective of you. You can say you're not all you want to, but the God who created you says you are. Okay? He said this. There's a lot of reasons why this is important. We've already covered that if we deny this, ignore this, reject this, refuse this, then we're never really going to understand what we are, which means we're never going to understand fully who we are, which means we're never going to understand fully why we are. Okay? But there's something else at, at, at play here that, that, we, that we really need to consider for a moment. Okay? It, it comes down to every human being standing before God one day. My brother, my sister, I don't tell you this to, to scare you, but, but I, I do need to be the watchman on the wall. Amen? You will one day stand before God. Now, religion loves to sing songs about us being worms and wretches. Okay? Well, if I'm going to be considered by God and, and you know, compared to a worm... In other words, if God said in Psalm 81, verse 6, I said you were worms, okay? I'm being silly now, all right? Um, well, you know, if, if, if that's the standard I'm going to be held to and judged by, I'd be pretty confident that I've at least lived up to the standard of a worm, all right? But that's not the standard God says. That's not how He sees you. That's not who you are. So you can deny it, reject it, refuse to accept it, but I'm talking about the God who created you. I said you are God's. That's what he said, okay? Now, if you're listening to this on podcast and, you know, trying to find your Bible to see if it really says that, it really says that. What you have to know, though, if you're not looking at the screen, is that I said you are God's. The G is lowercase, okay? So God is deity. He, he is uppercase. He's big G, okay? Uh, we're lowercase g, but nonetheless, this is what he said. I said you were gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Let's keep going. Verse number 7. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So, it's not real edifying, you know, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. What is God saying here? He's talking about who He created you to be and the reality that many are experiencing. God created us to be a little bit lower than Himself, but instead we're wallowing around in the mud underneath the devil's feet. He said we're gods, but we failed. Oh, Satan was, Lucifer was one of the princes, and he fell. And he's saying that you'll die like men and fall like one of the princes, okay? Um, because again, we you know, thank God for Jesus. This is Old Testament. Uh, this doesn't have to be uh, because of what Jesus did for us. But this is the reality that a lot of people um, are experiencing in their lives, all right? Now, I said we find it in not just the New Testament, but in the Supreme Court of the New Testament. Go with me now to John chapter 10, verse 33. I'm going to give you a minute to turn there, because <clears throat> I, I want you to not only see these, but perhaps you want to highlight these verses if you haven't done so already in your Bibles. All right, John chapter 10 and verse number 33. Let me... 
Let me come back on screen for a minute before we look at the passage, and I'll give you a few more minutes to turn there, okay? I know that um, we've already covered this exhaustively, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to reteach it. But for those of you who are not here for the class, okay, we said that the that the revelation of God to you and me, the revelation of God to man, is progressive throughout the scriptures. What does that mean? That means we know more about Him by the time we get to Jeremiah than we knew about Him by the time we get to Leviticus. Okay, um, in other words. God is revealing more and more about Himself as the Bible unfolds. And this continues until Jesus comes. And the Bible says that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. That Jesus is the, um, the final and thorough and complete revelation of the true nature, personality uh, of, of God Himself. That if we've seen Jesus, we've seen um, the Father. And so we said if you think of the Bible then like a court system, and so sometimes, you know, in our uh, judicial system here in the United States, a lower court, um, local circuit court, what have you, they may rule on a matter and the parties involved, one of the parties involved, wants to appeal that to a higher court. And so the higher court, you know, then is able to, um, you know, to, to look at that and, and provide you know, clarification and maybe a, a different ruling, so to speak. And so if you read something in Exodus, for example, that doesn't make sense to you, you have to take that understanding to a higher court because, again, as the Bible unfolds, more of who God is and more of what He's like is unfolding. And just like a court system has a Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the Scripture is... In, of the Bible is the part written in red. This is where, you know, God becomes a man, lives among us, and speaks. And so it's the final word for me. If there's something in the Old Testament that I don't, that, that doesn't make sense to me, that I don't understand, you've got to drag it from the Old Testament through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament so that the New Testament, just like a, a, an upper court would shed light on a lower court ruling, you've got to let the, the New Testament, the, what's written in red, to shed light on uh, things that are not as clear, uh, conclusions that may be incomplete that you've reached uh, from the Old Testament. So <clears throat> this take that same principle then, and we come to Psalm 81, where God said, I said you are God's. Now, in addition to us talking about the, the Word and how we learn and grow in the Word, we said that there's a principle established in the mouth of two or more witnesses. So anytime you find something in the Bible um, that you think God is saying to you, you're going to find it in other places in the Bible. And you don't want to just take one, you know, interpretation or thought um, from one verse and leave out other things that the Bible has to say about it. Because again, um, it's that clarity, it's that reinforcement, it's the two witnesses uh, rule. So in Psalm 81, we have God saying, I said you are God's. That's a hard one, okay? So the next question then is, so does the Bible shed any light on this anywhere else? You know, this is a tough passage. Um, perhaps it doesn't mean what it seems to mean. Maybe there was something lost in the translation, 
or maybe it was some cultural thing, or maybe it was some uh, misunderstanding, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so let's, we need further clarity. And so that's what we have in John the 10th chapter. Okay, so John chapter 10 and verse number 33. Um, the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because <clears throat> you being a man, make yourself God. Okay, now <clears throat> I'm not done reading here, but let me give you a little background on what's going on here. Jesus has just revealed that He is um, God's Son, that He is the Son of God. And this uh, infuriated the religious establishment. Remember what I told you earlier, as long as He was who they said He was, as long as He played by their rules and let them tell Him who He was and what He was, everything was fine, okay? You know, as long as, remember they said He was a prophet. Some didn't agree with that. Others said he was a teacher, a rabbi. Okay. As long as he, you know, identified as that, um, they were fine. But when he said that he was the son of God, um, they went uh, berserk. Okay. And so they're literally about to stone him to death. I mean, they're, they're fixing to execute him on the spot. Uh, this is how inflammatory uh, this statement from Jesus um, actually was. And so Jesus is asking them, he's like, look, um, before you stone me to death, could you tell me uh, which good work that I've done are you going to stone me for? And so this was uh, the Jews' answers. Uh, they answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Okay, well, amen. We just read what Jesus is quoting now. We just read where it says in their law, I said, you are gods. So notice now, this is, this is yes, it's Jesus being a second witness to this, which, because it's Jesus, I mean, that, it doesn't get any greater validation okay, than that. It doesn't get any higher confirmation than that. Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Now, notice though, Jesus keeps going here. Verse 35, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? Now, this is more than, than just Jesus saying what was said in the Old Testament. Um, this is in the infinite wisdom of God. You know, the, remember, Jesus didn't say anything unless His Father you know, told Him to say it. So, you, understanding that you know, behind the scenes, this is not just Jesus answering an attack against Himself, 
But this is Jesus confirming and clarifying uh, what Psalm 81 says for you and me. In other words, he is, he is in essence saying, yes, that's what that means. It means what it means. It, it means what it says. Okay? So notice Jesus quotes it. The, your law, the, the, the Bible that you, you know, that group that was about to stone him for saying he was the Son of God. Jesus is saying, look, the, the, the Bible that you hold so dear and so precious and so valuable, the, the very Bible that they would have used to justify stoning him says, I said, God speaking, I said, you are God's. And so Jesus then asks them this question. Let me bring it back up on the screen. If he, now the he here is Father God. If He, Father God, called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and notice what Jesus said here, and the Scripture cannot be broken. And the Scripture cannot be broken. In other words, Jesus is, what is He saying? Father said it, and He meant it. And He's not taking it back. And it can't be changed. It can't be broken. Once spoken, it's forever on the record. Once it's established, it's established forever. And furthermore, Father God doesn't say things that He doesn't mean. He doesn't throw things around, anything around, especially something this important and this serious. So Jesus is saying, look, you're wanting to stone me because all I said was, I'm the Son of God. I could have said and still been biblically correct, I could have said that I am God. You're going to stone me for saying I'm the Son of God when your own record, the, 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 the word that, that, that came to you that cannot be broken, says, and God called uh, them gods. Wow. Okay, so... <sighs> Amen. <laughs> now, let, let me... It's the opposite from what the enemy's trying to tell you. It's pride that resists this, and it's humility that accepts and embraces it. Pride resists, humility submits. Okay? And one of the ways the devil makes his living is to try and confuse us um, when it comes to pride and humility. Um, have, have you ever seen somebody that was so stinking proud of how humble they were? Okay, Think about it now. Maybe you've been there yourself. Um, and so let me, let me leave this subject for a moment and see if this doesn't make it very clear. Okay, If God says, um, uh, if, if God says the sky is blue, okay, is it prideful or is it humble to say, no, the sky is not blue? That may be so silly that it's too basic, okay? In other words, if God says something is one way, it's very arrogant for you or for me to say, no, it's not that way at all. So that's, it's not, humility is to say, wow, okay, well, God, if you say so, that's hard for me to see right now. But if you say it's true, it has to be true. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Keith Moore, 
he says that humility and submission only comes into play when you disagree. As long as you agree with what's going on, you know, let's say you're, you're an employee and you have a boss, and the Bible says we're to submit ourselves to those who have the rule over us, okay? As long as you agree with everything your boss decides, you're really not in submission to him. But it's when your boss makes a decision that you disagree with that you've got to make a decision. Are you going to submit to him as an authority over you, or are you going to rebel against him? So when we talk about being in submission to God, we're not just talking about obeying his commandments. We're talking about embracing and believing and accepting what the Word of God says concerning why you are, who you are, and then as we're studying tonight, what you are. So if he says you're God's, it's, it's, it can only be pride that disagrees and, and, and says no to him. But it, it's going to be humility and submission, and it's very humbling. Now listen to me, please. And I, and I know we've got um, a, a, a bunch of people that, that listen to this um, around the world, uh, for that matter. Um, uh, part of that is a confession of faith. Part of that is we do have people in other countries that, that tune in with us. Um, and I'm thankful for that, right? Uh, I'm, I, it's Christmas time, okay? I'm not suggesting that you walk in to Christmas dinner and announce to your family that you're God, okay? That, that, that's not what this is about. This is not for you uh, to broadcast uh, you know, to the world, uh, casting your pearl before swine. People who now we've taught on this almost two hours, um, and maybe a lot of you still struggling with it, uh, for you to walk in to somebody who knows nothing about the Bible uh, nothing about these truths, and you just announce to them uh, that, that you're gods. Okay, that's, that, that's, that's being prideful, uh, potentially. I, not, I'm not my place to judge, but could potentially be prideful. Okay, let me, let me back off the, the absolute there. You say, well, then why even talk about it, Pastor Mark? For, for you to understand it. For, for, you to, for you to answer this very important question, what am I? For you to begin to see yourself the way God sees you. For you to begin to develop the perspective of your life um, that Father God already has um, of you. Okay? Now, let me give you some more verses. Okay? 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 17. 1 John 4 and 17. It says, Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I'm just going to leave um, the overlay on. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 10 and 11. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. I'll give you a minute to turn there. It says this, For it was fitting for Him, and notice the, the capital H here, this is speaking of Jesus. It was fitting um, for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason He is not ashamed, to call 
them brethren. So we, um, we see here, I apologize, I didn't put that um, last part up. Let me put it up again, all right? It was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, that's speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the one who sanctifies us. We are the ones who are being sanctified. But notice he says the one who's doing the sanctifying and the ones who are experiencing the sanctification are all of one. We're born from the same womb, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That word brethren means born from the same womb. You've been born from the same womb as Jesus. And it's fitting for him. In other words, when it says fitting for him, this, this means that, that there was no one else who could. There was no one else who was qualified. There was no one else fit to do for us what Jesus did for us. And certainly this puts him then in a, in a category above us. This, this, this puts him in, in the category of eternal deity, a name above every name. Uh, you know, uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Okay? But this one who is above all, this one who is um, above every other name, that every knee will bow to, that every tongue will confess, is not ashamed to call you one who was born from the same womb as him. Not ashamed to call you brethren. Not ashamed to be considered one with you and for you to be one with him. You see, if you understand the truth, it's not that you and God are just like this. You and God are just like this. You've become one. You've been made one. All right, I'm not done. The Bible has a lot to say about this. John chapter 17, verse 11. Turn to John 17. We're going to look at some verse, verse 11 and a few other verses out of John 17. I'll give you uh, a, uh, a moment to turn there. Praise God. John 17. Praise God. Not ashamed, Hebrews says, to call them brethren. All right, John 17. I'll put it up on the screen now, verse 11. Jesus speaking, He says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. That they may be one as we are. Skip down with me now to verse number 20, John 17 and 20. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. It's important that I comment on this, so let me pause for a moment and comment on this verse. John 17, and please don't do it now, but at some point, maybe before you go to sleep tonight, read, read John the 17th chapter. It's such a unique chapter in the Bible. We know that Jesus was a man of much prayer, but we just know that he went and prayed sometimes we pray all night, but what John 17 does for us is it actually records for us one of Jesus' uh, prayers, one of his prayer sessions. And we see that he prays for himself, then he prays for his inner circle, and then he prays for you and me. And that's what he's saying right here. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You realize because Jesus reached those disciples, and then those disciples reached somebody who reached somebody, who reached somebody, who reached somebody, who reached somebody, who finally reached you and me. We believe on Him through the word of others who heard the word from the original disciples. Praise God. 
And so Jesus is praying for you in John the 17th chapter. He's praying for me in John the 17th chapter. Let's look at what he's praying here. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I'm going to leave that on the screen for a moment, okay? I'm going to talk about it, but I'm going to leave it on the screen because, you know, maybe you've read these verses before, but have never read them with the understanding that you are a God-class being. But we see in this passage that, first of all, Jesus prays that as individual believers, we will be one as Jesus and the Father are one. But then he deepens this prayer. Uh, I say deepens it. He extends it maybe would be a better way. Now he's saying that I don't just pray for me and the disciples, but I'm praying for everyone who will eventually believe in me through their word. And notice what he's praying. His prayer is that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Okay? So any time that Jesus is talking about himself and God the Father and you and me, and he uses the term us, he uses the term one, that we may be one with the Father, like Jesus is one with the Father. Anybody listening to me right now that has uh, even a basic understanding of the Bible, you know that Jesus and the Father are one. And so, and thank God for that. But what so few understand, uh, you know, compared to the number that understand Jesus and God are one, is that as born-again believers, we've been made one together with them, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be made, um, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, a lot of times we go to these verses and, and we talk about the glory that was given to Jesus being given to us. And again, that's a phenomenal, amazing truth. And then perhaps even more than that, that, that He loves you and me with the same love that He loves Jesus with. That Father, that they would know that you've loved them as you've loved me. That Father God loves you like He loves Jesus. Anybody questioning tonight whether or not Father God loves Jesus? I think we all agree that Father God loves Jesus. But do you understand tonight that Father God loves you the way He loves Jesus? Man, it's, it's an amazing thing. So as important as the teaching in this verse about the glory that's been given to us is, as important as the teaching in this verse about the love that we've been loved with is, sometimes we overlook what else is being said here. And it comes back to this revelation of our oneness with God. And so we see that Jesus is one with the Father. We see that Jesus is in the Father. 
But notice, Jesus is in the Father, but you and I are in the Father because we're in Jesus. I've been made one with Jesus. Jesus has been made one with the Father because I've been made one with Jesus and Jesus has been made one with the Father. I've been made one with the Father. This is where this being made one together, being one in us, is, um, is really, again, just being explained, driven home, uh, you know, reinforced with you know, verse after verse after verse, line upon line, line upon line, row upon row, row upon row. Now, the Holy Spirit keeps prompting me uh, of this, and so I'm going to pause here, and, and, I, and I'm going I'm to say it, okay? may sound a little silly, but just hear me out, okay? I bought a, uh, I bought a truck 20 years ago, and uh, man, the Lord just blessed me. I just bought a, uh, it's, it was a three-year-old truck, uh, but it, it was like new. It had less than 10,000 miles on it, and um, that was a, just a real blessing for me in early 2020. Um, but the truck that, and I still have it, it you know, almost 300,000 miles on it, and it, it, it was, amen, it's a blessing. So, but when I bought that truck, some of you know that truck, it's a maroon-colored um, Chevrolet uh, full-size pickup truck. Uh, I really wanted a charcoal gray truck, but they didn't, they didn't have one in stock. It was going to be hard to get one. But they had that maroon truck uh, on the lot. And I remember telling Pam, I, I said, you know, baby, I, I, that one's kind of growing on me there. It's got the, the charcoal interior. And, and, um, and I, you know, I've ne- I told her, I remember saying, I, I, it must be kind of rare because I've never seen one that color. Um, and it's kind of different, I, I said. So I, I think I'm going to get that one. And so she liked it too, and so we agreed, and so, so we bought that truck. I may be exaggerating, but basically on the way home from the dealership, I saw three trucks like mine, okay? Now, it's not that when I bought that truck, um, there was an influx of other people buying that truck, okay? Why did I see those trucks driving one home from the dealership that um, I had not seen uh, before? It's because my eyes have been opened to them now. They were all around me, but I was blinded to it. I couldn't see it, right? Now, what I pray is happening for you and with you and in you right now is that once you're letting the door of your heart open to this truth and the light of this truth is beginning to dawn on your spirit and in your heart, that now as we look at verses perhaps that you've even committed to memory or at least familiar with, now all of a sudden you're seeing red trucks where you used to not see them. Now all of a sudden, you know, this whole idea of being a God-class being, being made the image and likeness of God, being made compatible with God to the point that we can become one with God, that we could become impregnated and give birth to God's child, right? Um, that we're, we're beginning to understand that we were created in, in His image and likeness um, and made just a little bit lower than Him uh, because this is what He made you to be because of His uh, purposes for you, okay? Now, um, here is a question. It's not a trick question, but it is an important question, all right? Which came first? Which came first? Man, and when I say man, I, I don't just mean male gender, mankind. Which came first? Mankind or the purpose for mankind? Which came first? Man or the purpose for man, or let's, let's personalize it. Which came first, you or the purpose 
for you. Okay? Now, when I ask this question and the room's full of people, um, I sometimes tell folks, uh, don't shout out your answer. Uh, not because I mind people shouting out the answer, but over the years, I've just had a few people, let's just say it that way, who have answered incorrectly. They say very confidently, man came first, okay? Uh, and then some folks think it's like a chicken or the egg question. And it's not a chicken or the egg question. But by the way, the chicken or the egg question can be answered. Which came first, chicken or the egg? It was a tie. The Bible says that everything God created, He created with the seed uh, inside of it to produce itself. So when God created the chicken, He created the egg inside the chicken to produce another chicken, okay? But that's for another day, all right? This is not a, one of those trick questions. Which came first, man or the purpose for man? Most people answer correctly when they answer man's purpose. The purpose for man came first, and then man came, or we could say man was created in light of that purpose. Now, why is this important? So, Pastor Mark, I thought we were talking about what is man. Now you've skipped back up to our purpose. That's the third question. It is the third question, but it'll help you better embrace and maybe understand what you are and why knowing what you are is important, all right? So let's get the answer from the Scriptures, not just because it sounds uh, philosophical, okay? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Okay? So let it forever be settled, okay, <laughs> that before God ever created a being called man, called Adam, okay, He had established our purpose. He had established our purpose, generally speaking, okay, and He had established our purpose, your purpose, individually speaking, my purpose, individually speaking. So, according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, before time began. So what do we see here? We see, if we're going to simplify it, you were given a purpose before time began, before time began, and then created in light of that purpose. So I know that it may be obvious, but I'm going to belabor this point if necessary. Father did not, listen to me now, He did not create us and then try to find a purpose for us. He started with a purpose for us and then created us in light of that purpose. How silly would it have been for Father to create us in such a way that made fulfilling His purpose for us impossible? So in other words, He had the purpose in mind first, what He wanted you to be, and so He then created us in a way that fulfilling that purpose would be possible. How silly, how pointless would it have been for Him to have established a purpose for you, for me, for us, but then create us inferior to that purpose. In other words, create us in a way that fulfilling the purpose that He had in mind for us would have been impossible. Okay? So, let's go back to it. You were created and given a purpose before time began, and let me say it again. You were given a purpose before time began and then created in light of that purpose. Okay? 
So what you are and who you are serve to support and make possible why you are. Okay? What you are and who you are serve to support and make possible why you are. Again, why you are coincides with purpose. Now, your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. I love commas when I should put periods. There should be a period there. Bear with my grammar, okay? All other purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they are dependent upon it, right? Man, if, if you're going to write down something that was said here tonight other than a verse from the Bible, I would like for you to write that down right there, okay? One more time. Your number one purpose... I'm not saying it's your only purpose. I'm saying it's your first and most important purpose. Your number one purpose. The number one purpose for which God created you. And your highest calling is fellowship with God. Are there other purposes? Yes. Are there other, we could say it this way, are there other reasons that God created you for? The answer is yes. But again, those purposes are not only secondary to the number one purpose, they're dependent upon it. Let's go all the way back to class number one. We said that all effective ministry, all effective ministry proceeds forth from a daily walk with God. In order to minister effectively for God, you must learn to do life together with God. You've got to walk with Him and live with Him and have fellowship with Him in order to minister effectively for Him. We have all perhaps experienced and maybe some been victimized by people who try to minister in the name of God who do not walk closely with God or know very much about Him as a person, as a human being. I walked in a class this morning and um, sometimes before I get there they play uh, uh, YouTube uh, worship videos and it's fabulous. In this particular YouTube worship video, uh, I don't know who the guy is, but he comes on in the middle of a song and he starts talking about how God uses cancer to teach you lessons and, and cars running over people and killing them, that there's value in this and we need to learn to appreciate it and all this other stuff. And finally, man, I, you know, after a few seconds of that, I just, there were other folks in the room. I said, man, that's just a bunch of junk right there. That's not true. It's absolutely positively not true. And as Jesus said, I'll quote my big brother Jesus, you do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You see, if God's behind all of that junk, right, then do we stand up against it or do we roll over and take it? If God's given you cancer to teach you a lesson, do we take chemotherapy to try to overcome it? Or do we learn everything we can learn, get every drop of lesson and life learning that we can out of, out of this stuff? If God's given you sickness to teach you something, are you rebelling against Him for taking medicine? Come on now, for crying out loud. So again, far too many people stand in pulpits and they try to minister to God's people, but they don't walk with God. They don't know Him. They don't know who He really is. They don't know what He's really like. They don't understand that He would rather be beaten almost to death so you could be healed than you'd be sick one day in your life. Get stirred up about these things, all right? So your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God because it's only when you do life together with Him that you find out who He really is. 
And when you find out who he really is, you find out what he's like, you find out what he's about, you find out his heart, and you find out his heart for people. Remember, Paul was amazed by the love that God has for him. And, but yet it was only in relationship, in fellowship with God, that Paul understood the love that God had for Paul. And then that transcended into Paul realizing that if I'm the worst of sinners and the least of, in, in the kingdom, and Father loves me this much, how much must he love everybody? How much more must he love everybody else? And this is what constrained Paul, compelled him to minister and sacrifice his life to reach other people with this message of God's, of God's love and salvation and, and, and redemption and righteousness and grace. So your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. All of the purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they're dependent on it. If you don't have fellowship with God, if you don't live and walk with Him and know Him, anything else that He may have purpose for your life is, is going to be second rate at best. But my, 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 when you learn to fellowship, when you learn to worship Him, when you learn to do life together, take His yoke upon you and learn from Him. Learn of Him. Amen. Not only do you find rest for your own soul, but you're able to minister that rest to other people. So I know I've probably said it four or five different ways. Let me try one more or two more. Your purpose coincides with your why, but it's supported by and dependent upon your who and your what. So we're talking about purpose here, okay? But if the purpose for which you were created is fellowship with God, oneness with God, union with God, communion with God, to know God and to be known by God, then God is going to have to make you create you in other words talking about the what what you are he's going to have to make you what you are in such a way as to make fellowship and oneness and compatibility with him possible okay so one more time your purpose coincides with your why i know we're talking about why am i now but you never know why you already know who you are. You never know who you already what you are. So your purpose coincides with why, but is supported by and dependent upon who you are and what you are. If God created you any less than in His own image and likeness, His purpose for fellowship, communion, and oneness would not be possible. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me say this every single way it needs to be said tonight and then give me ten more ways to say it again next week, all right? Again, if God created you any less than in His own image and likeness, His number one purpose and highest calling for you, which is fellowship with Him, communion with Him. Praise God. Amen. We lost camera there for a minute. All right, stay with me. If it, if it blipped, don't hang in here. Praise God. We're still streaming. All right. Oh, sweet Jesus. If, if God created you any less than in His own image and likeness, then His, highest purp His, His number one purpose and the highest calling uh, for you, which is fellowship, communion, and oneness with Him, wouldn't be possible. You wouldn't be compatible with Him. Okay? So I said it earlier. I'm not going to go into it all again. I didn't decide this for myself. He decided this for me. All right? Now, I've just got a few more minutes. Let me, I mentioned my Yorkie earlier. Uh, I need to get a picture of him for you guys to see him. He, he is, he's just an, an amazing little puppy. I know some folks think that I'm, I'm making this up. I am not. Not long after we first got him, I was, um, 
I had given him a, a treat. It was like a little piece of chicken, a little strip of, of chicken, like chewy chicken for dogs. And, um, and he gets these bursts of playfulness. Now, he's older now, but when he was young, he had those often. And, and um, <clears throat> so he set his uh, chicken treat aside uh, to play with me. And so I got down in the floor. And we played, and he ran all around me and tried to get the toy away from him and throw the toy and he'd go get it, and, and we did all that. And he was huffing and puffing, you know. He was out of breath because he had really, really been active. And this went on for a few minutes. And he was sitting there, and he saw that treat laying over in the corner of his eye. And, and he took his eyes off of me, he forgot about me, and he went over and he got that treat. And he started chewing on that treat. Now, I know some folks think I'm making this up. I'm telling you. He saw me. He came over there, and he gnawed on that treat until a piece fell off right in front of me. I was still laying there on the floor. And then he backed up with the rest of it and ate the rest of it. You can believe what you want. I believe that dog was sharing his chicken treat with me. Amen. Now, I have a Yorkie that I love, and he loves me. He's in my office right now while I'm sitting here <laughs> teaching this class. Praise God. And I also have a son whom I love and who loves me. He's actually in this room. He, he comes to class. Um, I don't know how many times he's had this class. I think three but he comes, he honors his father, and he honors, most importantly, his heavenly father by learning and growing and studying the truth. So I have a Yorkie that I love and loves me. I have a son that I love and loves me. I enjoy a relationship with my Yorkie, and I enjoy a relationship with my son. I don't think it takes a high level of intelligence, though, to recognize that the relationship I have with my son is not the same as the relationship that I have with my Yorkie. Why? Yorkie's not the same class of being as me. You see, the Yorkie's not the same class of being as I am, and therefore is incapable of the same kind of fellowship with me as my son, John Mark. Okay? So when we talk about, um, you might hear the trumpet warming up in there, they're getting ready for, uh, for service, praise God. Um, when we talk about why we need to know what we are, image and likeness of God, a God-class being created a little bit lower than God. Again, it's not so you can walk in your family reunion and announce to everybody, I'm a God, okay? No, no. It's to understand that what you are was necessary so that you can be who God created you to be, and so that you can do what He created you to do. In other words, the purpose, fulfill the purpose that He created you to fulfill. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I know that um, we've looked at some unique things tonight, Father, things that would not necessarily be preached in the average church, on an average Sunday morning. Um, Lord, it happens all the time. And so I can only imagine tonight that there are people who um, 
have been watching this class that have never heard these verses or anything like what we've said uh, in this class tonight. Never heard it before. No idea this was in the Bible. And now, Father, we've all got to figure out what we're going to do with this. We've all got to figure out what this means. And, and are we going to reject it? Are we going to resist it? Are we going to call it humility and say it's not true? Um, which is actually pride, as we've already discussed, Father. Or are we going to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the reality, to the understanding, Lord, to the perspective? Father, the enemy has tried so hard to trivialize us. It's so sad to me, Father, that so many people on this planet believe that we somehow created ourselves from um, uh, amoebas and one-cell organisms that became frogs and tadpoles and all that other craziness. And that we're nothing more than animals that are more sophisticated than other animals, Father. Ah, the lies of the devil. Father, you created us like yourself because you wanted us to be one with yourself. You created us like you because you wanted us to be loved by you and for us to return that love back to you. You created us like yourself, Father, because you wanted to be able to speak to us and you wanted us to be able to speak to you. Help us understand, Father. Help us embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if nobody's told you yet today, you're loved. You're loved by God, most importantly. You're loved by your Heavenly Father, by Jesus. But you're also loved by me. I love you. So how can you say that, Pastor Mark? You don't know me. Amen. Because those who are born of God love those who are also born of Him. Amen. And so I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to speak into your life. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve you uh, the Word of God. One of my assignments in life is to feed God's people with knowledge and understanding. And so I appreciate you allowing me the honor and privilege of doing that tonight. If somebody else is in the room with you, tell them good things coming. If nobody's in the room with you, just say, yay, God. And you have a great evening. We'll be live streaming from Heritage at 7. Um, we're in uh, a series now. We just started it called Why Did You Doubt? And we've done a lot of study on the subject of faith over the years. But it's time for us to learn about the kryptonite of faith, which is doubt. Where does it come from? How does it get in? How can we defend ourselves against it? And so it's a very important study. You may be too tired or not have the opportunity to just dig on in with us at 7. But it'll be archived on the church website or on my Facebook page. So um, I just encourage you to get a hold of those teachings. I think they'll be a blessing to you and help you in your walk of faith. But anyway, remember good things coming. Remember our Father loves you, and you have a blessed rest of your day and evening. Praise God.